This boy and girl are going to be well equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. All right, y'all. I made it to Southern California, uh, to be more exact, Los Angeles. If you're following the journey last night, I or the last podcast, which was two nights ago, we were in Crow, Oregon, which is actually a real place, with a guy named Chase Behringer who did uh, who does the bucket list lifestyle. So I definitely recommend checking that out if you're into some learning about some breaking normal adventures and how to implement them in your life uh, as soon as today. And on my journeys, I'm so honored to be circled back to an uh, one of my best friends for the longest time. This is it's unique. I feel like this is like a new season for the podcast because when I first launched it, I launched it with one of my other best friends that also has a red hair and can be described as a ginger. And now I'm restarting uh, this new season back on the mainland from Hawaii continuing the breaking normal mission and i'm getting to share uh with not only like i said one of my best friends who has red hair but also we started our relationship in uh, freshman year of college at emory university as uh dorm rate dorm mates whatever or there's another word for that roommates um and I guess we're here about how many years later is that since we fifteen st- probably is it really when did we start college two thousand three yeah and we are oh sixteen my gosh so now we're both here at your place in Los Angeles with both of our daughters and uh, your son Logan and your wife Katie and my wife Deanna it's like oh my gosh this we've got to experience a lot of time. Uh, together and apart and then like keep continuously circling back again and we've come a long way from those uh midnight mcdonald's runs <laughs> yes we have i mean we could share so much story we could talk so much story um i also want to give just a little background of eric i judge you to be one of the smartest people i know and i feel like i know a lot of smart people let's not build it up too much <laughs> um I mean, maybe I- i'll take over here for a second <laughs> uh so i would i after college, I worked as a newspaper reporter, and then now I'm a criminal prosecutor. And so uh, I think the best way for uh, us to do this podcast is for me to use what I do and what I did in all my jobs, uh, questioning, to ask you, the one everyone wants to hear about, uh, hopefully the best questions I can come up with. Man, I love that you're creating that context, and I'm ready to roll with it. I'm, I'm so – because I do believe you'll have – yeah, yeah. Actually, talking with Eric and JP for some reason, uh, and I want to keep it back and forth. So, but I'm I'm ready to roll with you on that. Um, do you? I'm curious. What do you think of this? Is there some sort of ginger effect going on? Is this a? I'm like both of y'all are some of the deepest thinkers I know, and I've met a lot of redheads that think deep, and I don't think there's that many redheads on the earth uh, percentage wise. That many redheads on the earth. If you're outside Ireland, you're uh, um, you're in rare rare company. The only thing I know that's in common, though, is we have genetically a higher pain tolerance. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I'm, uh, that's mm. interesting. Have you? Do you think that's true? Oh, it's been proven. Yeah. For you, do you think it's true? Oh yeah. yeah. In what way? It like has it has it shown up in an example that like, comes to mind? S- stuff at the hospital never bothers me. Like whatever, whatever it is. Um, I don't know. Various things. I, I think it's easier for me to play through injuries. That kind of thing. Okay. 
Okay, and if you're ready and gung-ho, do you want to, like, start interviewing me? Yeah. Is that how you want to roll with yeah, this? Yeah, I want to start at the beginning. Okay, okay. Let's. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. This is breaking normal. Come on. Let's uh, talk about your family, first off. Um, you are the oldest of four kids. Uh, you are. Uh, you have three boys and then a youngest sister. Uh, so it's you, Timothy, Nathaniel, and then Emily, right? What is the youngest age where you start kind of like remembering things where like kind of like, especially with your siblings, like when do you remember your interactions with Timothy? It's That's a thick question for me because I I think I remember me remembering it, like seeing photos or videos at such a young age. I think the very first thing I did, and I don't know if I remember this from hearing it about from my parents or seeing a video from it or a mix of me actually doing it. But it was like just like I ran to Timothy in in a concerning way to give him like the biggest hug and like I almost kissed them, kissed him so hard like everyone was scared if I was going to hurt him. And what's and, your age gap? Uh, three years. So you would have been like a, a three or four year old when you do mm-hmm. this. Um, and uh, in your first toddler years, what was your relationship like with Timothy? <sighs> Probably just like in awe, in awe, and like wow i have this playmate that i get to show the world sort of like a brother father mentor best friend type of role and so uh your what was your relationship like as you were growing up with your parents oh man that's a great question i think um probably that before moving to georgia which was around five it's pretty faded it's once again i'm like am i remembering pictures or stories that i've heard but probably in a very tense family environment between my mom and being a Christian and my dad's parents um, being very Jewish and not necessarily like they wanted wanting to make sure I'm doing the Jewish traditions and kind of pushing that and my my mom pushing back. And I imagine it was like a very tense family dynamic. It's probably probably confusing for me at age three, four or five. And how long did that struggle kind of uh, happen bet- between your parents and their parents? Oh, yeah, as long as they lived. It just dissipated. And then for my, I'm sp- my grandfather is purely speculation because he passed away when I was around one. But what I, from what I remember my dad's mom and my mom, it was, and that, it, they resolved it by keeping a distance. Did your, was your dad ever a practicing Jew? Probably more culturally doing it because that's what his family's doing. I don't know if it was like a heartful, like I'm passionate about the Jewish religion, more following the customs. But he was following the customs as a Jew for a while. So he would, would he go to a synagogue, observe the Sabbath? Yeah, and- but probably until I was born. So I'm imagining when you're asking these questions like, oh, now we have Daniel, baby Daniel. What religion are we going to share with him? And I'm imagining my mom was much more um, in control of the path that that took. So talk about your mom then. Uh, she wanted you to be raised Christian. Um, what what else uh, can you say about your relationship with your mom kind of in your early years? Oh, probably uh, really in love with her. Like she, I was, especially when Timothy came around, I think it became like Timothy was my dad's kind of favorite and I was my mom's favorite whether we said it went to each other when we got mad or and not I, I know how you say that it's kind of like irrelevant whether it's true or not but why do you feel that way that like sort of Timothy was your dad's favorite and you were your mom's favorite? oh um, probably because when we had a 
uh, some sort of disagreement or some sort of tension. Timothy and I, we got in a fight or something crazy happened or Timothy was screaming and crying. I think my mom came more to my defense and my dad came more to Timothy's defense and they like kind of played each other's defenses. Probably, And I don't know what that exactly meant, but that's how it, I imagine it habitually went. And then as you get older, Nathaniel comes into the picture. Mm-hmm. How did that change things? Oh, then it became this thing where I was like... Um, I was probably the one that was most in control of who we were teaming up on. <laughs> yeah, it was like these little miniature like competitions or like who was on whose team. I mean, we Nathaniel, we, they, I'm, I'm thinking of what sticks out to me. I don't think that's the theme of our whole relationship. Obviously, we all teamed up a lot of times. But when now when there became a, a unresolved situation, it was like, is Timothy on my team or is Nathaniel on my team? Because then we team up on that other person that's not on our team. And uh, do you, would you say, like, you're growing up, like, sort of elementary school time, you generally had, like, a happy household? Yeah, yeah. Generally, generally for sure. Like, there was definitely points of tension between my parents and maybe, like, many explosions here and there. But for me, Timothy and Nathaniel and my parents, yeah, it was, like, a blast. Just, like, a borderline crazy. Where'd you all live? Um, so until I was five and uh, we moved from Florida, Georgia when I was five. So me and Timothy were born in Miami at Mount Sinai hospital. Nathaniel was born in Georgia. I think it's St. Jude's hospital or something like that. And, uh, so Nathaniel, it was like, he was a new, new blood in a way. It was, he was coming from a different planet. Like he didn't even know about mine and Timothy's rapport in Florida. What it was like the, Georgia house like kind of like a rural house or what was it like were you in Atlanta like uh, at first we were in Sandy Springs in a really unique I would say breaking normal like almost miniature castle with all this vine growing down I would say it's like one of the greatest houses in Georgia that I can imagine great neighborhood we were there for a few years and then moved around from like probably on the real estate and lesser and lesser why prices oh well, I think I know my parents went bankrupt at one point. My dad did, or I don't know what that. I don't even know what that means. I haven't even looked directly into it, and it may have had something to do because he co-owned a pharmacy with his brother in Florida. And when they moved to Georgia, apparently that's when things, you know, before it was tense with the religion thing. Then it became like my dad left the business, but the agreement, from my understanding, my limited understanding, like the the checks that were agreed upon weren't coming anymore, and there was just like a cutoff. And then he, I guess, he probably got in over his head around that time. And then, um, so probably from owning a pharmacy that was probably much more lucrative in Miami to then becoming a retail pharmacist. Has your dad been a retail pharmacist ever since? Yeah, actually. Well, no, no, no. He took. There was a lapse where he wasn't. Um, actually he did other things like he was doing selling insurance, working for the poison control. Like there was a year there. I think a four or five year, six, seven year gap where he wasn't, he lost his pharmacy license and he was, uh, as for doing something probably sketchy with, uh, using what he was selling. Has Long he talked to you about short. that? I don't know all the details, but that's something I'm very curious about and to, I want to learn more about. I, I know my you dad... You may have to do an interview podcast yeah, with him and break that so, down. I think so, because anytime I like kind of confess or like admit my use of substances, my dad, my dad just seems relieved. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> that's it. 
was like, okay, okay, yeah, I don't know, yeah, you're good, you're good, you're doing good. Maybe you want to take a break every once in a while. Did uh, so? So your dad's uh, been had his ups and downs, been around like you know, nothing. Life is never linear. Uh, did did any of his uh, his adventures like sort of weigh on you as a family in a way that you might say was like long lasting or anything like that? Well, the, the, so what happened was at a point, and this is once again faded. I know it's significant. I'm not sure if I personally remember it so well. But there was a night that he went to jail. Like the that's how they lost his license. Like the police raided our house and they were looking for stuff. And I think my mom and dad were flushing stuff down the toilet potentially. And and it was probably like stuff from the pharmacy. And um, at that point, then that's like my dad. Who we have a friend who's gone down the path of like sobriety in a way. And he that's when he went down that path. He like it was like he lost his license. He got re- he went to jail for i think 48 hours or something like that and um then there was a shift and his the, the, yeah so i do remember him like once there might have been times when he was getting a little belligerent with timothy like playing roughing housing in a way that was like is this is he is this safe and then and that was probably when he was under the influence of some of his experiments um but other than those times when it got like borderline out of control, what I remember is just having a blast and then having my dad get very like into the path of sobriety. About what age was that? Oh man, for that's you. a good question. Probably about middle school when I was in middle school. And uh, so, fill me in on your mom, what she's doing in the meantime from Florida up to middle school. Oh yeah, really being a godly woman, like that going to church, wanting us to fall in love with Jesus, wanting us to fall in love with God, wanting us to do that, and uh, and, and just loving us, like being very loving, and I still think like hiding some habits, <laughs> they're like, what's, maybe there's still a lingering effect of their, uh, like whatever my parents were doing when they were more lawless before the incident with the law. She was a nurse, was she not? Yeah, yeah. She is a registered nurse, actually. So she's been a nurse for, yeah, probably about 30 years. She loves doing that. She And she wanted, you know, that's one of her dreams for me was to become a cardiac surgeon because she's worked with so many amazing surgeons that she thinks are, like, the greatest people on they're earth. They're the big dogs in the yeah, office. Yeah, and, then, like, in Atlanta at these hospitals, allegedly they, like, sent, they may be, like, the best surgeon on earth, arguably. So I think she's uh, always... If I didn't become a major league baseball player, imagine me doing something along those lines. Great. So uh, in middle school, um, this is right when you're, you know, kind of hitting teenager, that kind of time. Um, were you a popular kid? I don't think so. I was probably like very normal, just like your average normal kid, not sticking out in one way or the other too much. <laughs> just your typical white boy. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I'm I'm trying to think if that's true. Yeah, that's true. That, that sh- things shifted more around ninth and tenth grade. That's when things became. What shifted? Uh, oh, ninth grade, I just got bullied the worst. I got the worst. It was how like, so? Uh, in baseball, on the baseball team, I by who? Uh, this guy named Greg. Yeah, Greg. funny how you remember those things. Oh uh, huh? yeah, I definitely remember Greg. I've thought about what would him. Greg do? Just like blatantly um, bully the shit out of me. Like I don't know how I became his target. So you were like, looking on a base back. Ball. I was like, "What? I, I'm, I must have been so normal. You just picked the most normal guy they could find." Were uh, you were on some baseball team of some kind? Yeah, actually, one of the, the count, like one of the best baseball teams. The county's like this is the team. There's Heritage and Rockdale and Salem, 
and Conyers. Those are the high school. Yeah, names. yeah. And Heritage is just dominant on the baseball. Like this is the place where you go if you're gonna. And this is where Tyler yeah. Austin went. They have to, draft picks. We get people go yeah, pro every yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a big school. So I was going there. That's where I was going. Yeah. And as you said, as a ninth grader. So yeah. were you on this team as a freshman? Yeah. Freshman. Sure. Uh, we there's ninth grade and JV and varsity. I was one of the. I was on the freshman team. Okay. Um, and uh, so you were playing baseball, getting bullied by Greg. But what else is going on? Oh, and like the same. Oh, I almost felt like I was getting bullied by my biology teacher, who was like this very eccentric Jewish guy. But I don't know what he was. Maybe because he had this like Jewish connection with me, and there's not many Jewish people. He was really like wanting me to. He was focused on me in the class. I felt like there was a lot of energy focused on me that I wasn't necessarily fond of. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it was grade. positive energy. No, no, not in ninth grade. Wait, <laughs> what? Uh, what is like an anecdote that like can kind of flush out what you mean by that? Like a story. I think like um, me genuinely trying not to stick out and feeling like I like I remember the biology teacher kicking me out of a test. Like he would. He would like call me out. I really feel like he was bullying me. Like looking back, and I was like getting bullied from all directions. On the baseball team was the by far the most intense. But then it was seemed like it was coming from the teachers. It seemed like it was coming from the classmates. Like I was sort of the chosen guy to get bullied. And what is uh, Georgia baseball team bullying look like? Oh, pretty like uh, it's kind of scary. Like just like maybe like the ones I remember are probably like intense physical movements with balls or bats or. Like coming at you? Yeah, like just trying to keep me scared with if whether they have a bat in their hand or like, oh, he would make fun of me for being on the swim team. They called me Speedo. That's what it was. He called, what's up, Speedo? <laughs> so you uh, you double time between baseball and swimming. Yeah, at that time I did. At that time I did, yeah. And how, uh, so you're, you're on the freshman team. Did you keep playing baseball after that? Yeah, well, so I changed schools. The Rockdale County Magnet School, a new magnet school was created, which was a school, part of a school, based on people that want to specialize in science and technology. And they were Did you sign up like, for it, yeah, or like do you have to grade people. into it? I apply, and they accepted me. And I was like, Why'd they accept you? I don't know. Well, I mean, I'm <laughs> getting the straight question. Did you Were you doing well in school at this point? Oh, probably decent. Probably decent normal like b like b probably above average probably b's and a's okay. b's a's and maybe some c's but i think pretty good so you transferred into this magnet school yeah is it a different yeah. campus and everything yeah that's that's the rockdale county school that's so it's like part of the rival high school the high school that by the way has the worst baseball team according to history so you were probably now a bigger fish in a smaller pond yeah but yeah i went exactly yeah somehow i started i got the exact opposite treatment all of a sudden all of a sudden, I was like the star automatically. So much so, this is you'll love this. I bet. Um, I went to Vars. I went immediately from getting sat on the bench from like the baseball coach on the freshman team at Heritage, who was also like the football coach. There was like these politics of he was picking his football players to play. But anyways, I got benched and bullied. And then uh, on Rockdale, they put me immediately to varsity. The and um, I think the first at bat, I hit a home run. <laughs> My first of that That's in crazy. varsity high school, I hit a home run, and I was just like, uh, I, I didn't. I was remember sprinting around the bases, and the guy's like, yeah, I'm run. <laughs> <laughs> so you were hit from the start there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, wait, was the school better experience? I um, basically I took a totally different role. I went from like I basically started bullying the teachers. 
How so? I was just like the class clown. I mean, I just did, I had no interest in school anymore. And did I was you just have all uh, about baseball? I did just, you have partners in crime for this? Uh, the people were probably just like <laughs> inspired by. I mean, maybe not in the most positive <laughs> way. <laughs> just like I was like leading a revolution in this new school. And you're in the magnet school. Yeah, yeah. So you're uh, you're dragging down the potential success of others. <laughs> Arguably, from some of the teachers that I would probably they would. I wonder what they remember about me. <laughs> <laughs> they talk about you the way you're talking about Greg. <laughs> maybe, maybe, yeah. How long were you at that school? I look at the book on your shelf. It says unmasked. I love it. <laughs> um, that was from 10th grade to, to see, I graduated high school from there for three years. And uh, would you say, like, as the class clown and baseball player and that kind of thing, that you were pretty popular at that school? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Did you have any anything that was like, you know, I wish it had been different, that yeah. kind of thing? I was definitely popular in a very breaking normal way. I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. Everyone around me, like, uh, that wasn't playing baseball, they were like, uh, that's probably why I didn't drink in college. You know I didn't drink in college. It was just, like, sickening watching them. They were just, like, drinking their heads off. Like, they were wanting to get sick and all kinds of things. It just didn't look like a thing I wanted to be part of. And plus, all the warnings from my mom and dad. I'm so, like, yeah, I don't want any part of that shit. <laughs> more stuff than drinking. There was stuff going on at this high school. Oh, yeah, yeah. So Rockdale County is actually famous. Just a little while I was in the high school, there was a documentary that came out called, like, The Chil- Lost Children of Rockdale County. Because they were having – and there was this, like, this idea that – Rockdale didn't invent, invent sex and invent the sex sandwich. And there was like these all these underground orgies going on allegedly like with the classmates before us. And so we would well, – I remember once going on a swim team meet, people had like like keep syphilis out of the water and they were like throwing things at our bus. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think I may have experienced some really unique partying for kids this age. It was raw. <laughs> raw. And then I didn't well, – it didn't look compelling to me. And what else was kind of like the dynamics of like the classroom types? What's like the Rockdale? Those were more the parties I went to. The Rockdale County Magnet School is yeah. full of very like arguably nerdy people that were committed to academic success. So I was exception. a potentially hindrance to their growth <laughs> for sure because I was just like the baseball player that was cheating. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone just didn't know. Like, I don't know if I was like fitting some sort of demographic why they kept me in there, like the athlete or something. <laughs> but I was definitely, I, I was treating that like I did not want to be a part of it. I was just like using it for my baseball career. And at uh, while this is going on, while you're being the class clown and playing baseball, uh, what is your uh, relationship like with your siblings? Um, that's a good question. Pretty good. Pretty good. Like Timothy and I just. Yeah, like best friends. Tim Nathaniel, um, we've always like – there was a point when I think I was younger, more in middle school or right in high elementary school, I wrote a paper about Nathaniel, how crazy he is. Like he would throw knives at us. Like we always thought he was like crazy. <laughs> and I treated – like we kind of treated him like Nathaniel. Like he's crazy, man. <laughs> he's like on the – like we, that's, that kid's loco. <laughs> like, I don't know how that happened. Because there was at one point I remember him even when he was a young kid he had like he's so when I think about Nathaniel now I say he's by far the most normal out of us <laughs> but I'm like thinking back he had these dreadlocks and like a six pack as like a, an 11 year old and he just seemed like on the edge and you were the guy who walked onto the swim team and was great but he was the, the oh, Olympic yeah. level everything swimmer. Nathaniel did that's what I'm saying he's just crazy like oh <laughs> sh- don't you want to get, if Nathaniel gets into it he's gonna, he's gonna do some crazy things in it. Yeah, and yeah, and eventually he got into swimming after having an injury on his arm, and he became like one of the best swimmers as fast as possible. Like, it was just weird. What about Emily? 
Emily, yeah, she was probably got a little left out of our like circle of brothers, so a little bit more on her own. And um, Emily, yeah, it was there was this, that distance. I guess we were just so into baseball, and she was like so into ballet. We were so into high school, and she was like so into elementary school. So there was a gap in like our connection there. Um, but then Emily, the big thing like about when I think of Emily's shift in our relationships and all that, since even before, even before the um, Bart, her, I, not everyone that's listening to this probably knows, but her ex-boyfriend, there was a bombing that went off in the Belgium airport a few years ago. I think it was Brussels, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, her the Brussels terrorist attack. And her boyfriend uh, may have been the one that was the closest to it, and f- and turned up uh, dead several days after the search it was this whole crazy search of like finding out where he was and they find and he was flying to come see her yeah he was coming to see her and arguably probably to propose to her and so emily is on a very unique path that she really she went from like this just very innocent like family girl that fell in love with this exotic guy and then all of a sudden, poof, that's no longer exists. Like, her heart was all into it. You know, she was probably dreaming of the proposal happening as well. And then, so she is re- basically just riding an earthquake um, of her reality. And that's been several years. And now she, I would just picture, I, I, she's now dating someone for the first time named Austin. And they seem to be getting along very well. But she was probably in, like, I would imagine a year solid of, like, very shaky recovery of what that happened. And now she seems very defined. Like, with her still, her relationship with God has only gotten stronger. And now she has opened her heart to partnering with another man named Austin. And they're, like, in a relationship. And she's working with Wedflix, my brother's Your company. Your brother Nathaniel's yeah. and his wife's company. Yeah, yeah. They're doing a great job with that. Did you play any role or what did you see as your role in uh when, when this thing happened to your sister oh perspective perspective prayer perspective and prayer and like man I like just not even pretending to understand fully what was going on but continuously like just like that's i don't know i don't know and shit like i i feel like sometimes my greatest gift in people's pain points is a perspective and I shared many perspectives with her and even created actually a highlight reel. One thing I did for her, like specifically as like a physical act, I went home and I created this like, I spent a long time creating a highlight reel of her and Bart's relationship uh, in a video and pictures and and stuff like that. What came out for that for her and for you? Oh, probably some sort of another layer of healing, another layer of inf- infinite to heal. And like some sort of just uh, some sort of something, a good feeling to grasp onto through this confusing, painful time for her and me feeling like an older brother and playing my role and what I'm good at. Had you played that role with her really before in any way? I don't know. I don't think so. Not 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 nearly to that extent, because she's always been really just like a really good girl. She hasn't had many things to Fate. like it wasn't like she was like sneaking out at night and going to those parties <laughs> with the lost children of Rockdale. That was like as is like on the fence as I was about that. She was just like not even near that fence. So yeah, she is pretty easygoing, and then that just like huge, yeah, that huge thing that happened not only for her but so many other people and Bart's family. She went. She has spent time with Bart's family in Belgium since then. It's all just like very shocking. 
Well, let's go back then to uh, your high school. We were talking about that. How does the kid who is the class clown, um, the baseball player, uh, on the fence of uh, of the uh, Rockdale party scene, um, end up at Emory? Because I know you end up at Emory. That's where I meet you. Yeah, that's crazy too. Because I I applied to a bunch of colleges and. <laughs> I like looking back. I oh, I was more like baseball decisions. Like oh, like if I go to UGA, that would be a challenging t- team to walk in. UGA walk being University of Georgia, and, yeah, Division One school, like top baseball program. Yeah, so it was more like I could apply there, but my I'd be more interested if I got recruited to go there. So simultaneously, I was aiming to throw a ninety mile per hour fastball that didn't actually have to come to fruition. I kind of what a doctor would call an impingement. I ended up. Not that that's an, and that is the excuse. That's the excuse, but who knows what happened? I, anyways, I think I may have overdone it. You Looking threw back, out your arm, yeah, basically. basically. Yeah, basically, yeah. In other words, threw out my arm, and um, so it was a weird time. I was like, if I'm gonna recover from this, what am I gonna do? And then when I started my senior year of high school, my first seven games, I hit a home run every game, or first six or seven, I, I hit a home run every game, and I was like, oh my gosh, I guess I'm just gonna go. Um, <laughs> be a hitter go the hitter a pitcher. Yeah. and then I got in trouble <laughs> how'd you so get in trouble I got, I got was late late oh you were late, showing up late, late for practice something second time late or third and then there was this assistant coach and he was hell-bent on punishing me and they ran me to a court before my game that game that eighth game and I never hit a home run after that why do you think he had it out for you? I don't know, but there was something like if you want to study some weird psychological things, like I'd never hit a home run after that game, and I uh, and I just felt so too sickened. By Were you kind it. of the only one showing up late? I don't know. I don't, I think it was more of the if I had to echo the resonance of how the biology teacher treated me, it felt like how this assistant coach was treating me. So this, uh, you're thinking about baseball as you're thinking about uh, colleges. Yeah, yeah. That's so. And I'm like, now my arms, and I'm like, fastball is a little. Can I even pitch tomorrow? My arms hurting so much, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm hitting home runs every game. I guess I'll keep hitting home runs. And then this didn't happen, so I started to apply to colleges the regular route, and I uh, got, I didn't get into UGA. I did not. I think I got denied. I don't know if I sent in everything properly. It was very last second. <laughs> But somehow I did not get into UGA, and I got into Emory University, and I that's pretty significant. I, I imagine I'm the only person that can say that, or put, arguably maybe. To not get into the state school, which is a good school, but yeah. still easier to get into. Yeah, the... much. Like, arguably, statistically, there would be very rare, very breaking normal for someone to get denied from UGA that lives in Georgia but get accepted to Emory University. So, yeah, then I got accepted to Emory University, and my, that my mom was like, oh, <laughs> you know, Emory, allegedly, if I'm understanding, Emory can maybe produce more medical students percentage-wise than maybe any other school. Yeah, and they've got a big hospital system in yeah, Atlanta. Yeah, they're like, like legit. <laughs> it's like the school to go you to. You were finally <laughs> going to get rid of baseball and become the cardiac surgeon you were meant to be, Daniel. <laughs> yeah, and my mom was definitely open for both. I think she had a dream of both, but this was just like just as good. Like, I was like, hey, okay, if the baseball thing doesn't work out, cardiac surgeon, easy. All right, so you signed up for Emory. Although let's uh, let's start with high school. Uh, so was you were like you were the class clown? Did you have friends as you were doing yeah, this? Yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah, I was having friends like everyone. Like like I was so cool. You're yeah, funny. Like, I got along with the older baseball players, and I, I'll confess something. I've confessed this somewhere before. I remember this is something that I uh, don't like. I remember throwing like bottles like at the band. 
So you were like, you as were... a bully. I was like a borderline bully, but like not like a Greg, but more like a revolution. Like I was tr- creating this like let's bully the band. Like or you're just like kind of a 16, 17 year yeah, old kid. Yeah, yeah. Being I, a bit I have, of an a hole. Some tinge of guilt though. <laughs> I definitely would not be proud to. It's not like a proud moment, but I was doing things that I almost wonder if I hurt people. I trust I never did. Never heard from it. So, but we were doing things that were sketchy to the other groups that weren't as cool as us. So yeah, I went from that guy to now going to Emory. As a bad boy, were you like the bad boy that got the girls in high school? Uh, not really. Not like not like some of my friends. Because I, I still had like the moral dilemma. I think I was really morally conflicted about like I had no interest in going beyond a second base in high school. And so I think I was scared. What second base in Rockdale? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Probably uh, some sort of penetration in the mouth. <laughs> One of the mouth orifices of the body. <laughs> So I, actually, I'd probably be a guilty to get a hand job at that point. I, yeah, I probably yeah, it was all guilt. My sexuality was ridden with guilt at that point. So you sign up for Emory. Uh, is it uh, your decision, or you feel like at your mom's urging? Or? Oh, I, it was just like a no-brainer. It's yeah, like okay. what? I'm like Emory, I got into Emory. That's like a top. It was like that point. It was like hovering around the top twenty schools, and like UGA that I got denied from may have been like a top hundred. It wasn't It wasn't something to write home about for a doctor. Like if a, as a doctor, going to Emory was very approved for my mom and everybody she knows. And so I'm just probably going with it. And my dad's a pharmacist. At this point, right around this point, he started working one week on, one week off, um, as a night pharmacist. And at this time in my life, I was like so used to staying up late for some reason, and I thought that was so cool. I was like, oh, I could become a pharmacist and get paid 80 something thousand dollars a year or $150,000 a year and go on vacation every week. I thought that was such a cool idea. So I was like, well, I'll go do pre-pharmacy that also leads to pre-med if I want to. And also but it started time- with pre-pharmacy. I was just going to go to Emory for two years. That was my original idea. And you were into surfing at the time, right? I was very compelled by the idea. I had gone a few times and just like stoked, what I would, what the surfers would call stoked, aka what an addict would call addicted. When was kind of the first time you went surfing? Um, in high school, I believe. You know, went during like a hurricane swell in Florida or some sort of swell in Florida. My dad used to surf a lot. And, and did you pick it up pretty quickly? Definitely, probably faster than your average Georgia boy. It's a hard sport to pick up. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 we were good swimmers, so I, I got the shit beat out of me for a lot of time, and I had fun doing that in the ocean, getting beat up in the ocean. It seemed like a grand time for me. And a pharmacist definitely would have worked out with that schedule. <laughs> one week on, one week yeah, off, Yeah, right? yeah, so we went surfing some um, during s- high school as well in so Georgia. From s- Georgia, but to other places. So you're now the class clown Georgia boy going to Emory, which even though it's in Georgia – seems to at times have almost no Georgia students. Yeah. Um, yeah. What was uh, – were you fish out of water there? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because I cheated my way through high school really good. And uh, I don't know why. I, I rationalized since my parents were like, it's all about baseball. <laughs> like, me and my parents knew it was all about baseball. So I was like, I'll just let's just get, make sure you're doing everything else. <laughs> um, so when I went to college, yeah, I was taking these courses that other people had seemed like they were already taken, like through their AP, is that what it's called? Or like, and I felt like I had never known any of this. Like, this was all a new language to me. And and these kids are all speaking it like it's yeah, like... Yeah, like they were not paying attention in class that much, and we were playing poker a lot. As you remember, yeah. I, I was just playing, I was going along with what my friends were doing, but they had, uh, they, I felt like they had a high advantage on me. About, they basically like, had studied this the stuff The information before. that we were being tested yeah. on the next day. <laughs> <laughs> 
So it was weird. It was weird. I found myself I found myself in learning how to get really behind and then catch up really quickly. So how did Emery shape you in any way, if at all? That like learning what I'm capable of. Um yeah, especially mentally, like how much I can remember <laughs> in one night. Well, what'd you find? Oh, uh, what'd I find? What'd you find you could do? Oh, like, yeah, I would imagine like something I thought I would have no interest in, like looking at one of these books on the shelves and be like, I would never read, like it, it, whatever that time I have to get me to sit down and read that book in a month would, that would be, I must be highly incentivized to like going through a few of those books and pulling out somehow maintaining on the information long enough to regurgitate it onto a piece of paper and pass some sort of test. I was like, wow. So it showed me like um, my brain in a way it was capable of. And um, it showed me like the power of like new cultures and friendships. It was more to me about the friendships. Talk about that more because. uh, Oh yeah. Like I think our friendship is worth, you know, I could talk, I could complain like the college and Emory sort of a crazy money scheme. Like it's such, I'm like looking back like what a crazy investment was I did I what the what about my parents I was like almost resentful of my parents like yeah just with the tuition and cost forty thousand dollars and I didn't even know what I was doing there like <laughs> shit can you imagine like getting signed up for a coaching like people more in this space would be like accidentally getting signed up for like a forty thousand dollar a year coaching program and you're not even sure why you're doing it <laughs> and then they're like and you're making fun of the coaching program the whole time you're doing it with other people they're signed up for doing and they don't know why they're doing it but Emory they're more like there were people I was surrounded by exactly knew what they were doing there I didn't know exactly what I was doing there um, but I had a great time with all those people I had a great time with like learning about people that thought in whole new ways that functioned in whole new ways that had whole new beliefs and that were very grounded like amazing inspiring people we got lucky right from the start because uh, we had this freshman hall where oh, everyone who failed to sign, who failed to do the early sign up or something to get the good dorm, um, was all thrown in one dorm that was li- that was quickly condemned for not being safe and rooms were too small or something like that. And so there was a whole group of us there. Um, do people do some do some experiences there stand out to you? Because we. Were, it was it was a wild time. Yeah, so I think on that hall that we were on was probably Truman. I'm not sure if that still exists Good, yeah. at Emory University. I think we were Truman no, it's a, North. It's, it's a pile of dust now. Two, oh, okay, okay. Well, I won't talk about all the details. About <laughs> dust and the wind. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I I think that actually Facebook was sitting on a technology that was pretty much Facebook. Do you remember what that was called? That thing they were trying to get us to connect with before we I think became web rooms or something. something like it was that. like a Facebook for our freshman year. They they just all tried to force us to get on this program. Yeah. and it was to how get you to had know to get each your other so you could pick your roommates instead of being forced one. And we were pretty much like this hall was all the people that they pretty much threatened that if they don't choose a room, you're not, <laughs> you're coming, not to coming to college. <laughs> yeah. So all of a I ended up with this crazy <laughs> hall. And I was actually one of the last people. So <laughs> there, there was like literally like an Eric Neff and then like a Jun Moon and a <laughs> Kim Yon. And they were all from like Korea. Not that I, I, I loved the idea of uh, learning about Koreans and everything, but something about Eric Neff from Newport Beach seemed to resonate because I'm in Georgia and I surf. And I'm like, Eric Neff from Newport Beach. 
you pick the uh, the one uh, California kid who doesn't surf. There, like I, I mean, Jun Mon from Ken, uh, uh, Korea. I'll get to know him, but yeah. I, I want to know this Eric Neff from Newport Beach. I live with. Maybe we'll work out. I I probably remember the future of us all spending so much time in Southern <laughs> California before it happened. I was like, man. Uh, so that was a big deal actually, and I did learn a lot about surfing through our relationship actually because I spent a lot of time with you in Newport Beach. Actually broke my hand at the wedge. That's true, yeah. So anyways, yeah, we picked each other, and then our hall was full of, like, delinquents. <laughs> Characters, for sure. <laughs> that are geniuses. Just yeah. like, what? How did we end up with this hall? <laughs> yeah. So uh, then sophomore year, we uh, we pick a little apartment off campus that's a little three-bedroom place, and we put six guys mostly all over six feet tall, all living in this place. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, talk about that. Yeah, so we immediately became uh, definitely a non-established or non-official fraternity, <laughs> uh, especially because we were going to so much fraternity parties. And I remember so That many... we weren't invited to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I remember going through like the pledging process. I think this is where my real breaking normal... I think I started noticing like a pattern of groupthink more than ever with the pledging of fraternities. I totally saw you reacting that way. I remember you would be intentionally the opposite of what you were expected to do in these things. You would intentionally try and make these fraternity guys uncomfortable with like their like way you're supposed to think and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think I became at that time I was like becoming more of a free thinker and maybe in, in a little bit of an opposition of what would just be normal. And something about fraternities brought that up for me. Maybe it was like the baseball thing. Like, I don't want to get involved with this again or something. I don't know. And you did try out for Emory's baseball team, right? Yeah, yeah. So I did. I actually got cut maybe one, definitely one year, maybe two years. And that was a big deal. And I wonder if I unconsciously created that because I don't know if I was into playing baseball anymore. It was almost like this lingering of like, was I doing this for my parents or was I doing it because I just was normal or was I, I was also scared about it. I was like, I, that was that, yeah. I was still some. There was the baseball thing still resonating with me. So let's stick with that. Still resonating with you. How about to this day? Like you, you can recall a lot about your baseball career. Um, do you think you still have regrets or what ifs? Either if it's like, I mean, gosh, you could have a lot of what ifs if you really wanted to. Like at Heritage, at Rockdale, how you were acting there basically, and then your arm injury, and then Emory, which I can fill in because I know the area. The coach is a bit of a weirdo and wasn't even really <laughs> oh, yeah. good and wasn't good at picking talent in his own school. Um, so, uh like, I mean, I remember one of our friends from our freshman hall, a good baseball player himself, he walks on to the uh, baseball team charity home run derby, and he beat all of them. And uh, our the baseball coach cut him. So he's a, he's a weird guy. But so anyway, that was a long yeah. question of, do you think any of that still lingers with you, the what ifs? Oh, man. That's a good question. And it is. I'm so happy you pointed that out. What happened with the baseball coach at Emory with me and my friend – reminded me so much of like the biology teacher and the heritage baseball coach and i don't know what like it it gets me more curious about karma because i'm like what is this pattern that i feel like i or the law of attraction like am i unconsciously attracting some sort of this pattern to show up in different people in different spaces so i want to by some way in which you act is what you're asking yourself yeah like it gets me really curious and i look down and i say you act older what the heck am i looking at (laughs) i don't know he's looking at a whiteboard from our work that uh to fill it in it's like an 
out or sort of a brainstorming outline, but it literally looks like something out of a beautiful mind, just a bunch of crazy words all around. As I said, we're a prosecutor. That's a brainstorming a closing argument. Oh, maybe that's for, what it is. Maybe it was acting older. Who knows? Anyways, I, that's, that's uh, the charge there is a 20-year-old was trying to direct message through social media a 14-year-old and get her to send him naked pictures and that kind of thing. Mm, wow. That, I have, that's probably a rabbit trail to dive down to <laughs> whenever I get to interview you <laughs> with this court system these days. Y'all are probably dealing with all kinds of social media things. I'm like, oh man, that just opened up my mind. That's a podcast for another day. Stick to baseball, damn. <laughs> Why are are you corrupted? I'm trying to get out of you. You're oh you yeah, cry so the, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, so definitely more so in the beginning. Like I like what's the beginning? Like probably junior and senior year of college, mostly. Especially watching people. Like I went to a few baseball games or heard about a few baseball games, and knowing like I kn- like yeah, knowing in my heart that. I, that was, there, to, for me to be there with them was just a few things different. It wasn't that much of a gap. You could play on the field, yeah, put it that way. You're watching yeah. these guys. You're like, I can play with these guys. Yeah, yeah. So th- there was like that kind of like this bitterness, but there's also a relief. I think at that point I was like very scared of failure. I, I think I started not liking baseball as much because like strikeouts and errors mm-hmm. and how much of that – I felt like I was, you know, and as everyone knows, there's like kind of the old age old metaphor of like an all star in baseball, someone that fails seven out of 10 times. Right. So I, I think I was pretty hard on myself emotionally or it didn't seem fun. I didn't, I, I didn't seem I, I was heavy. I was nervous before the games and then I would be I felt like I was uh, not I was more feeling more remorse about playing baseball than not than, than the enjoyment that I got out of it. Then you pick surfing, which is a lot of failure too for very. Oh yeah, but the funny thing, the funny thing was, it was like just for me. I was just like doing it for me. It was no, no team, no pressure, nothing. There was, there was something surfing that offered that seemed sort of like what cannabis offers to culture. It's like, (laughs) I don't care about that. Why would I care about that? Like I can go out here and have arguably more fun surfing, and even even if only one person's watching. So I think there was something surfing offered as this like outlet for me to fail in a more fun way. Okay, so finish off with what uh, Emery, uh, how what you carry from college still to this day. Uh, well, I definitely still have debt. I still, I still, <laughs> owe, still, I still that. owe the uh, whoever gave me money, whoever idiot, crazy people gave me money to go to that college. <laughs> no, they're not idiots. They're probably geniuses. That's why I owe them money. <laughs> um, so th- that and uh, also just like so much memories that seem so beyond a price and and connections like with you being here right now. No, like I'm going through the country, I'm like, oh, sh- Eric Neff, you know, one of many people that went to Emory, you being a very much more significant one, but like Eric Neff lives in Los Angeles, let me hit him up, and it's like, oh yeah, you're not only are here, yeah, you're down to do a podcast, stay when you want, let's have a great time, Let's. our daughters are playing together, it's just like a dream come true, it's just like a sweet remembrance, and um, that I think I'll carry that with me forever. And you were a biology major, right? Yeah. And uh, how did biology... Uh, become what you were going to do i guess because to me i was the most interested in that potentially like i might maybe biased for my dad being a pharmacist and my mom being a nurse and being a little pressured but i also find the human body extremely fascinating 
and nature very fascinating. So I think that was I chose it like out of default in a way. I was like, which ones do I have to? What can I major in that I have to be pre, that I can be pre med in? And biology was the one. I actually probably broke normal there because I declared my major like when I was a junior, which was really late. Yeah, I, I think I was maybe the latest one in our whole class. Yeah, and it was like the only thing I could major in is biology. Because <laughs> you were committed at, point. at that point. So like if I wanted can... to graduate in four years. <laughs> That, that was the only thing I could major in. And I actually, talking about that, I think a night, the one nightmare that I've had the closest to recurring to is like studying for these tests and like uh, not being ready and not, and there's not something graduating like, in four There's years. something about that dream. I have that recurring nightmare all the time. <laughs> and the and I don't, I don't have really any nightmares. Like, But that's the that one. There's like two or three that are recurring. And then I talked to my dad about it. He said that's the one recurring nightmare he has. My dad was like a perfect student, nothing like okay. and Okay. Have you seen Risky Business with Tom? Is yeah, it? I know the movie. I, I and think I, it I've seen it. And I fell asleep dream, during it. Sort of. Yeah. I'm gonna, are any dreamers out there? Any dreamers out there? Leave a comment on the uh, podcast reviews if you can, and a question. A, question. a, a dreamer who's also uh, an expert in '80s Tom Cruise. Movies. Yeah, I watched that recently on the airplane. That's a good movie. We could do a few good men. Speaking of '80s Tom Cruise oh, movies, yes. I got that one on DVD. I'd love to watch that with you of all people. <laughs> we can do a running commentary. <laughs> pretend we're doing it for a podcast, because but I, not. <laughs> I, I believe I can handle the truth, and if I can't, I think I'll tell the truth. <laughs> I think. So uh, you, you you've got this biology major. You're about to graduate Emory. Put yourself in like April, May. I guess we graduated 2007. Mm-hmm. April or May 2007. Mm-hmm. We're headed towards the finish line. Um, basically, all saying our goodbyes, going our separate ways. What are you thinking at this time? Oh, that's when I I was taking. Oh yeah, I went to Sandy. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna keep doing this. I'm gonna go search this uh, studying, like doing studying. So I was like, I was gonna do the for MCATs what? for the MCATs. I was to for medical school. Yeah, medical school. Like, okay. Basically, I was gonna conti- I thought I was gonna continue on the path of going medical school, and I know we bridged a gap. We skipped a gap. Basically, after I finished the two year requirements of pre med, I mean pre pharmacy, I was basically having too much fun. And, and too connected to my group of friends to leave Emory. So I was like, I'll just graduate with a pre-med degree and be a doctor. I'll be a doctor instead of a pharmacist. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's how it works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's do that instead. So I took the MCAT. So like if I had to study for the MCATs now. And most of my – the way I learned in college was very cramming. So I was like, I really got to learn this. So I was like, I'll go to uh, San Diego, take the ca- – I, I want some sort of – oh, man, this is so trippy. I want some sort of a, a competition from the Jewish group at Emory to take the MCATs for like a discounted price. You're kidding me. Yeah, I think it was like I didn't know 700 this. I instead of 1500 And I might technically still owe that group <laughs> money. <laughs> I don't even know what that group is. I thought about it. It's like, I, I'm so happy I remember this right now. But I, so I was like, oh, I got, got I won this course to take the MCATs. So I decided to take it in San Diego because we, because our trip, when you want, we once came to Las Vegas and Eric picked us yeah, up. Yeah, something like our junior, senior year of college. You flew out to Vegas because it was back then you could fly on uh, AirTran for like, $75 one way to Vegas <laughs> and you would see so you would get on there and I, I drove out and picked y'all up and y'all came with a bunch of surfboards and you drove uh, us to Santa Barbara yeah that's right and we, we did and we did the whole coast in the morning and I didn't catch a wave it was just ridiculous it was like double overhead not uh, my wetsuit was not even working and and, and the waves crashed right onto the jetty like it, I, I was a, scared for y'all out there it was a nutty place and then uh, but then we went to inevitably our road trip led us to Black Beach in San Diego yeah So and that was like a home I was like oh this place I'm like 
come here one day. So when I learned that I won the – I do remember being with you that one. That was like a come-to-Jesus moment for the Georgia boy. Like, yeah. you mean a place like this exists? <laughs> yeah, yeah, La Jolla. Like, Black's Beach in particular as a sur- new surfer. Like, whoa. So I was like, oh, I'll, if I'm going to do this MCAT thing, I'm going to be, like, pretty much studying eight hours a day. So what am I going to do in the m- between? Morning. So I was like, I'll go to Black's Beach and surf in uh, the mornings and the evenings, and I'll study in between. And that's what I did. And um, Timothy and I rented a place from Craigslist. Like we got a place on Craigslist, and we, or we got an apartment, and then we stayed in the living room, and we rented out the living room, all the bedrooms, so our <laughs> like space was covered or something. And we were like living in the living room. <laughs> and I was studying for the MCAS, just surfing at Black's Beach on the daily. <laughs> so, well, how'd that play out? Oh, uh, then I decided, like when it came to applying to medical school, I realized I didn't want to do that. Okay. So. Um, I just started to ask myself this question, what would I like pay to do and how can I get paid to do it? And that's that was about 10 years. So how do you go through all this to be a doctor and then decide you don't want to uh, do it? Yeah, it's a good question. I think the idea of going paying more money to do something that I wasn't even wanting to do, really, just got absurd. It got absurd. Did I you even like, fill out an application for medical nah, school? I don't think so. I started looking at places I would apply. My score was like my score was good. The reading score was low. I remember it was like a ten, eleven, nine, and a seven. That seven was like taking me out of American medical school normal. But you know, I've applied to schools yeah. before and gotten in. But I've heard the Caribbean school. Like I could get into the Caribbean school, and that's where I wanted to go. Because then you'd be in the Caribbean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, I was going to Caribbean medical school. Then, and then when I came to applying for it, I was like, No, nah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, that was just too much. Too much like out of my. I think that's when that, that's when like the non-normal part of me that was bubbling up became very real. I started questioning everything. Yeah. So you start questioning everything, and then what? Oh, then I started asking that question: What would I pay to do, and how could I get paid to do it? Like, how can I have fun with this game of money? And uh, yeah, just we started. I thought I wanted to go to like festivals and like go to these like crazy parts of the world that I've never been to. So I would like look up Craigslist gigs on those parts of the world, and I would um, the ones that look like the most fun. I would send it on this awesome application. Like this guy that went to Emory University pre med, and they were all, they usually were like, "Why are you applying for this <laughs> job?" And I was like, "Because not only do I not to, like my, I was thinking, because not only do I not have to pay a thousand dollars to go to this concert, now I have like this reason to be cool at this concert. Like I'm giving out free stuff. So I just like became like some sort of paid socialite for all these <laughs> different brands." And you just would do these like one gig after another. Yeah, in different and places. And who'd you do it with? Mostly Timothy. But then other we had started inviting other friends along, like Perzon yeah. and Amin. <laughs> like once we went on that six week tour with the big red shoe and the stilettos. Yeah. Where we were promoting Marshall's mega shoe shop. <laughs> yeah, it was the four of us. And our job was to flirt with women basically. <laughs> and we got paid thirty five dollars an hour, forty hours a week. I would think about taking that job again. <laughs> I'm like, man, that's a good job. <laughs> how long did you do this for? Six weeks. No, how long did you do the whole like promotion? Oh, thing probably for? three or four years. Like pretty strongly. Three or four years. Yeah, gosh. I, gosh, I think, I think so. Yeah. So, uh, 
and at this time, were you thinking anything about what you were going to do next? No, that question just became absurd to me. Because yeah. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> They're like, I'll go on Craigslist. I might go. Oh, there was also other things that happened. Like we didn't even mention in college with the, you mentioned AirTran. I went on a mission where I cut out a bunch of cups oh, uh, from yeah. Wendy's from trash cans. If you turn yeah, seven. so Wendy's had this promotion where it's like they if you cut out a coupon that was printed on their cups, if you had how many of them, so you I get forty two. If 40. you have yeah, like forty cups, you get a free flight. And so at first, I remember the group was just asking people as they came out from Wendy's, can you give me your cup? Then you took it to the next <laughs> level where you were uh, basically making yourself looking like you were in like an Ebola quarantine unit. <laughs> like you had the full mask, like gloves, everything, and you were put dumpster diving for yep. the outside the back of Wendy's. Yep, yep. How many of these cups do you think you got? Oh, a lot. So much so that they had a limit. I was pretty disappointed. <laughs> I was pretty disappointed when I found out they had a limit of only four one-way flights per person. So I was like, shit, I've got way more cups than that. <laughs> <laughs> and then I learned that you could like transfer the tickets or something. So I uh, just started getting all my friends' accounts. Not all of them, but I got some friends, some flights that I used too. And that they would buy and transfer to you. Yeah, like, not even buy. I was just like redeem their 72 cups. It might have been 72. I used to have a poster on my wall. Um, and when, that, when I started doing things like that, just like the idea of like, what is, what are you going to do when you're this? I'm like, what do you mean? There's just like endless possibilities. I'll just go in the <laughs> trash can and fly around the world for free. That's, that's maybe <laughs> what I'll do this time. And the same time we were doing the raw vegan diet, like we eventually started doing the raw vegan diet. We promoted that because we got started sick of promoting these brands that were like, we yeah. started waking up to the fact that like, I don't eat little Debbie. Why am I promoting little Debbie? Yeah, that's like, and I saw parents feeding their children little Debbie, and I was like, whoa, 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 I don't want to do this anymore. So you started doing the raw vegan yeah, thing. Yeah, we started promoting what we were passionate about. And that's about where the, the raw time, bras which was raw vegan diet. So some of these trips, like in New York, I remember we would, uh, you know, stay at friends' places for free. We were getting paid to be in New York, as a, once again, kind of traveling the world to f- interact with amazing people during amazing times. And then we would like dumpster dive for our food because we were raw vegans that Trader Joe's would throw all, all out their good organic produce in a bag that people could just take out. Do you still do that, Dan? Is no. that how you get your baby food? I haven't dumpster dived in a while, but I do not not recommend it. You would be amazed at what kind of organic amazingness you might find in there, especially in places that the shelf, like they have to have a certain protocol for what the fruits look like on the shelves. Oh, okay. Yeah, so very weird. And if it's if it's if it's too ripe and perfect, they just have to throw yeah, it out. Yeah, yeah, basically. That if, as a, from a raw vegan's perspective, it's like they are throw a lot of stores are throwing out the best food. So the raw veganism. Yeah, so we went down that rabbit trail of promoting that on and we created our own business mm-hmm. instead of working for these brands that we didn't believe in and that was the Rob Bras. So that was probably happened about 3 or 4 years after that doing these different gigs from different places. And then how long were you raw vegan? It's probably the same similar. It's probably a similar thing like 2 to 4, 2 to 3 and a half years of like a tinkering Jeez. and then like a 7 month probably solid stint of hardcore. I yeah, yeah. I remember that. And <laughs> yeah, I like, I actually yeah, thought you, you looked your that. least healthy. Yeah, yeah, I remember that Vivek's uh bachelor party or who's I, Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think in, in South Carolina. Yeah, yeah, I was on the edge. That's when I kind of I started waking up to it. Like Vivek called me, he's like talking about my brown teeth. I still wonder if my teeth are like browner from that <laughs> than like they never got to white as they used to be. It's just a side story. And there was just a few people that were like talking to me in a concerned way, including my dad. 
And then I eventually, yeah, I eventually ate that piece. I got my blood tested, and there was like, whoa, your testosterone. Yeah, you, you like had super issue. low testosterone, yeah, very right? very low, very low. So then I ate a piece of salmon, and I felt so different. And I started eating more. I started tinkering more. But Nathaniel started it. Nathaniel did it. Nathaniel was the first one to go Yeah, because he was swimming at such a high level. It was like he couldn't hold himself back anymore. Uh-huh. from his for his diet like a lot of swimmers they're sprinters like almost overeat so they're never under calorie during right. training and he was felt so depleted so that he started eating like drinking a, a gallon calorie. of milk a day at yeah. one point <laughs> raw milk raw milk he got into the raw milk thing and um and then we kind of recovered too we uh first were angry and then we first we first appalled the truth and then uh because it kind of diminished it, it made our brand so blurry the raw raw is so blurry because at first it was about because you guys that was the first where you became kind of like an internet oh, thing yeah we uh, stars like icons like we were like just like out of nowhere icons in the vegan culture and then you abandon it. Yeah, then we were like no longer a hundred because we were first like really going for this a hundred percent raw vegan, and we were doing that, and but all of a sudden it just wasn't working the same. So Nathaniel was the first, probably because swimming and pressures. the culture kind of turned on you. Didn't oh oh they? yeah, definitely. De- oh yeah, the way they reacted to Nathaniel, that's when me and Timothy realized we were done too. What like, what kind of stuff? I was just like people being like almost evilly slandering us, like saying things about us that were all thinking that's not even true. <laughs> like, <laughs> what the heck is going? Like these people had like a vendetta. Once again, maybe there's this pattern now. <laughs> this vendetta, like what is going on? Like all I we you know, I wanted to experiment with eating some fish. I didn't want to. Are you trying to experiment with the thought that you make people want to be vindictive against um, you? I'm experimenting with the part. This is the part of me that I'm gonna use. I'm gonna say it like this: that um, I think I can be very bright sometimes, and I know when I if I shine a light in an attic, some critters might come out. So I my rationalization and my justification is that sometimes I'm like really bright in myself. And I'm kind of big and good-looking and charismatic and cool. And that can, like, some insecurities can surface fast from other people. And if they have a power over me, I think I sometimes I've seen it. You were, I can uh, attest, you you were, uh, you had a particular way in college of drawing out people's insecurities, including among your friends. Um, it actually, it never... Uh, it never affected me, actually, thankfully. But uh, some people it affected a lot, um, and I don't. Uh, you you could trigger some people. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that's a very fascinating topic. I know we're at one o two hours, two minutes. Thing. I'm so stoked on this interview, and I, I wanted you to continue in your flow since I think we're riding both of our geniuses. Because I think I'm loving. I love interview people, but I love getting interviewed too. So thank you for this. Um, and yeah, I do. I think you have one of the most object. I would judge you to have one of the most objective perspectives on this topic out of almost anyone in my life, and I don't know why. Maybe because you're an old. First of all, we have a very similar family structure. Yeah, I'm actually the oldest of four. That's three boys and a girl too. Mm-hmm. And for instance, Timothy, like he's openly admitted this issue with me and navigated it. But I like. I feel like he's dealt with it but not as objectively as you've seen it 
So there's like different iterations to this, and I don't know because exactly. Timothy's speaking from his own experience, whereas I've one I've seen the, your experience with Timothy. I'm familiar with that, but I'm also familiar with everyone from your college. Yeah, that, and that hasn't necessarily stopped. And really, spaces. even now, in like some the, spaces, yes. I see you a lot less than I used to. Yeah. Not that the times quality, but there's not as much quantity. Um, and uh, but uh, I, I guess okay. So you're it usually happens with someone I know less. Mm. Um, like someone I'm meeting for the first time this is like in a similar space like sometimes I'll meet guys that are like very in a, like a similar doing a similar thing to me maybe like a podcast or an author or an event coordinate like an event facilitator or a public speaker and sometimes I'm like wow did I do something like did I offend this person <laughs> like what are they talking about like just like over some sort of like uh, maybe like alpha aggression of sorts. yeah it could be very quick with people too I remember that maybe I just thought you were hilarious. Yeah, I, I yeah, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I'm still, I don't know if I think I'm that funny, but I like that you think I'm hilarious. <laughs> and fun. I mean, we, you know, it was. I yeah, I like to think I I aim to accurately report what's happening, and yeah. that to, to me seems easy and fun, and sometimes mm-hmm. hilarious, and sometimes triggering, and sometimes triggering is uh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like a big shit. <laughs> You're still triggering people to this day. How how are you? How do you? So you're saying people who don't know you as well? Oh yeah. So I actually use it to my advantage at the events for sure. I know you were there at the Rob Ross retreat, which was right. That was a Rob. There was one that was... in like North San Diego that was like a half day. That's the only one I've been to. And actually, I even left midway through because I sort of felt like I wasn't really helping the vibe because I wasn't like. You know, these people are here and they're really invested in it and they've paid money to be with you. And I probably would have participated in a way that would have kind of, I don't think it was the vibe, um, if that makes sense. I think it might have detracted from their experience. I spoke, I was spoke for a little bit, but like I tried to do it, but yeah. So I'll, I'll definitely leverage at our events. I'll leverage like taboo topics or feelings to get people to like maybe unleash stored emotion and heal like a lot of times i think suppression is eerily similar to depression so i can um i think i'm a good catalyst for people to get triggered in a good way and sometimes in ways they don't necessarily like at first i've definitely had a lot of uh, apology letters sent to me Really? Yeah, like, uh, or expressions, like, oh, I... What's know, kind of the nature of some the of na- those? The pattern is that at first I hated what you said to me. Like, I hated that you said that. And I wrote you off as, like, wrong and or evil. And then, like, now I've had some sort of shift. And I kind of marinated on what you said. And, like, you may have you may have either started it or it was just, like, way too early on. And I'm really thankful for it, and I want to kind of make things better. Let's stick with that, like uh, the idea of patterns from your experiences in in the last like ten years, basically since you've left, since you've gone into the uh, sort of industry you've been in, you've interacted with so many people, so many people, and you've had the, in a way where they're talking to you about your interactions with them. You just talked about one trend. Sometimes you get these apology letters, and they tend to be of this sort of way. So what I'm saying is, what other trends have you seen emerge uh, that you remember? Like, oh, this is this is going to be one of those where the person does X, that kind of thing. Oh, um, okay, it's a good question. This one, like, I, all right, I want to answer as honestly as possible. Um, 
Okay, one is coming to the events, and, like, I think people expecting some sort of deep connection with me as, like, a friend and a brother. And then them not going for it. Like, them, like I don't go for it, necessarily. Like, I'm in the zone. Like, I'm teaching, in a way, and leading and facilitating, and I, like, show up so fully at the, uh, when I'm, it's my time. And then when the rest of the time, I'll sit back and enjoy myself and I allow I can some people I think they really have this idea of how we're going to be fully connected but then they resent me for not making more of an effort that's another pattern what uh so you think that have you tried to adjust to that yeah I think I've gotten better at better of like being really upfront like hey I'm you want to talk I'm gonna go talk right now at lunch like let's have a good conversation this time like if I if someone's because some people have also maybe because I've gotten more clear with it like I'm gonna uh, at 10 o'clock I'm going to bed um, but because I've gotten more clear with it people will come like do you have time to talk but it's still this hesitation like what I've noticed is a pattern is like some of the people that I have the longest lasting relationships were where we're almost like abrasively upfront, like they were just aggressively um wanting to connect until where eventually like i it worked <laughs> like now we're friends and and then the other part of that is like people that didn't may have like a resentment or i want sometimes i wonder like maybe i haven't heard from them in a while because they think like i don't w- want to but i it just didn't work out that uh, i was pretty busy four days so those day, those four day retreats are crazy for me what other trends um Oh, people with like a surrogate father and a surrogate older brother. Explain that. Oh, like people, like a lot of people that feel like they never had an older brother in my life, like immediately like want me to like mentor them. They like want me to be their older brother. Or if uh, women, especially women, I think that don't have a strong father figure in their child's life or in their own life, they also are drawn to like, hearing my perspective like they want me to kind of like almost give them this fatherly role how do you tackle that oh just kind of perspective mostly once again perspective Uh (laughs) yeah just like sharing my ideas in just very authentic ways that seem direct and uh since uh we haven't even covered uh family (laughs) marriage those kinds of things uh I could go on for a while. Do we, do we want to keep going? Do we want to do a part two a later? Part. What do we want I, to yeah, do? I would say. I know. I know from listening to your podcast, which I like, that uh, you're you're you you the only constraint you like to have is the creative constraint of the uh, time minute. Man, I think with the strong like we're so close to one hour and eleven minutes mm-hmm. to leave this hanging for a, a part two, a potential part uh, yeah, two. Yeah, because there's been who many knows when parts, it'll happen. As we many just have... parts in our interactions. <laughs> I mean, we've been all over the place. Yeah. All over. How was this for you? It was fun. <laughs> I mean, this is what I do for a living. Yeah, you're, you're good. You're good. You remind me of me in this setting. You're, you're an easy study, too. Yeah. Why is that? Why do you think that? It was the same. You're a very compelling person. Um, same thing that, uh, you know, you... you undersell Emory a little bit like you're you are very popular at Emory particularly for not being in sort of the typical social circles we were not the typical social circles but it seemed like everybody knew you at least in some way or another um and was aware of you and uh, you have a certain dynamism and connection and uh I I also have an unfair advantage in that the the number one thing a journalist should do is study up on his subject and uh i know you probably ab- about as well as anyone who is not in your family that's probably a true statement 
Because I knew you well before you became public figure. It was your roommate, like, right in the beginning. Yeah, I'm not going to deny that. I, I wonder the same thing. I think you have... I, I think it's more like if you're going to accuse me of undermining Emory, which I think I may... Uh, maybe I did. And you or your ability, though, also to be in... Why why you're functioning as... What I understand is the LADA, or I don't know how many LADAs they are, but I imagine... It's a local a, prosecutor agency. I imagine that's... Um, you're very well suited for that that position, and not many other people are compared to you. It's an interesting gig. <laughs> so I can respect that. And yeah, I was thinking about the Emory and the popularity thing, like real quick. This is just like for go fun. on. Yeah. That definitely shifted for me. I got repeat. I get reminded of a p- pattern with uh, Raji. If you remember Raji, yeah, I got shaken from her and Trisha like I literally it was like almost the same thing and that's when I really I felt like that was like one of my most recent like what propelled me to a different dimension Raji and Trisha are basically like Like, you know these two attractive popular Indian girls at Emory yeah that I just wasn't like truthful with I was still beating around the bush about how I was with them and it just cost me it cost me in, in different ways, like with Trisha just pretending to be way too much of a friend and Raji pretending to be like way too in love with her. I don't know what I was doing. So I think there was some sort of interaction with that. I do admit that after that happened, there was a shift in me where I felt like I understood myself uh, socially in a way enough to start recognizing patterns with women and men and like and you started getting interested in paying close attention to that yeah yeah i loved it i loved going out like that was a real education and you love breaking it down with us and our friends (laughs) and everything like on tuesday nights yeah uh, what is it called the five points or virginia highlands virginia highlands tuesday nights shit that's like a sociology that was my one paper i scored 100 on (laughs) one paper i was just like fascinated by culture all of a sudden around that time Oh you, well, you did great on that paper where you, uh, where you, the challenge was to break normal. I and know. By the way, that I, was the one our friends always did great on. I remember Perzon uh, goes to a goes to a major lecture hall in biology and starts shaving in the middle of class. I, mean, I don't know. If, I think I was a part of. I don't know if I was in that class or not, but. Yeah, Perzon's an iconic man. Well, you, you <laughs> went to, and you went to the strip club, yeah, bought but, a dance, and then the dancer comes over and you say, "Oh no, 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 no! I don't want to dance. I just want to uh, ask you about your life." And for two minutes during the song, you asked her about her life. And before the two minutes was up, I remember because I was there to uh, observe this uh, to make sure nothing went wrong. <laughs> and uh, yeah, she, before the end of the song, I believe she was in tears. Yeah, that was probably where my retreat industry began. <laughs> I actually love that. Like, that girl's so nice. Like, strippers. Yeah, that was just such a. I, I learned about a person instead of a stereotype. I was yeah. like, that girl is awesome. We had a great time. And then that paper was awesome. And then <laughs> I think that's where Breaking Normal began. Yeah, I, I've reflected on that just very recently how that how synchronous that is. That the one paper I scored 100 on was very pretty much like the, pretty much like the title <laughs> of my book. <laughs> well, cool, Eric. Did anything else on your end? Let's call it a podcast. Oh man, good job, I brother! I love it. I love it. If you, I would love to hear from anyone that's listening how you experienced this interview. If you have any questions, because Eric uh, also suggested me doing like a Q and A, ask them in the comments for now because we're still on this launch window. It's really respectful and reverent to the gods of the internet, known as algorithms. If we want more people to learn about breaking normal. 
um, yeah, and check it out, breakingyourmal.com. I trust if you're feeling the call to join us at our next event to see you in Austin, Texas, March 22nd, and our facilitator training for 22 people for a month long leads up to that on 222. So if you're feeling like you really want to partake in this conversation in person and beyond, hit me up there, breakingyourmal.com, internationaltribedesigning.com. Thank you, Eric Neff. Man, thank you for breaking normal. Peace out, brother. Peace in. Here we go. This boy and girl are going to be well equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. Aloha, everyone. I trust y'all are so enjoying these transmissions, becoming more of an in a state of awe, more in a state of joy, bliss, blessed. The attitude of gratitude is growing in you. You're becoming a magnet for unavoidable success more and more every day. So you're experiencing life in the most heavenly way you ever have now. And that it only gets better from here on out. That's my prayer for us. And that we're uh, giving our gifts generally, generously, generously. That uh, our cups are spilling over. And if we want to get something to give it, wow. It's been a lot to keep up with. With traveling with... Uh, our baby and Deanna and all these different climates, like literally someone can drive to snow, to the beach, to the desert, to valleys, to rivers, all in one day on this island. And with my ambition for adventure, it's been pretty, it's been a pretty fun opportunity to stay grounded and also prioritize this podcast and my other projects that are built around my passion. Um, if you want to team up with me right now, I think our number one offering that I'm most excited about is uh, on February 22nd, we'll launch our next tribe design facilitator training for up to 22 people. And that will, uh, that what that looks like is a month long virtual training. It's awesome. Life-changing. I mean, if you're attached to seeking affirmations for your limitations, or are you looking to surround yourself with people that don't hold you accountable to your highest, it's probably not for you. But if you're ready to go all in on your dreams and start living like today is the best day ever, and we're not sure how many days we'll have, but we're willing to go all in in the meantime, this is for you. If you want to cultivate the art of being able to design a tribe wherever in the world you go, that you just become a, a magnet for connection and that you understand how to connect people, even if they don't agree with one another, able to uh, basically be a catalyst for heart sync over group think. If that's something you're looking for or being able to re facilitate retreats that get you paid to share your passion in a way that feels good and makes like money more clean in my opinion. I think a lot of people think money is dirty because they're trading their time doing something they don't want to do to see numbers move on their screen. And that's one of those moments I would ask you to ask how much is making this money costing me? How much is saving money costing me? And tr just to treat money as there's no shortage of it because in reality money is made up and how can something made up be scarce? So I trust all these podcasts and transmission are getting you to go all in on your dreams and passions beyond your stories around money, time, or space because those seem the cultural norms that most people are ready to break through to start living a more liberated life rather than under someone else's ploy. So if this resonates with you, go ahead and send your application in today at internationaltribedesign.com and one of our awesome team members will get back to you to explore if you're a good fit because if you are, we want you to start running retreats around the world, designing tribes based on what lights you up the most. Build the people and the places will come. And that seems to be a real reality here. While I've been out here in Hawaii, so many people want to show me their, the lands they're stewarding, the retreat centers they're building, the ideas around 
designing functional tribes that are thriving rather than the vicious circle of some of the cultures that are not working. It's been such an inspiring trip, and uh, I'm, I'm wanting to team up with the people that are taking the time out of their day to tune in and listen to these ideas about Breaking Normal. And if you're ready to take action, hit me up, breakingnormal.com. I trust if, if you're feeling the call, we'll see you in Austin, and uh, we'll get you trained to start facilitating your own events and maybe some even tribe designs. That's what's happening in Austin. Three people that have gone through the program are actually facilitating this event, and our intention is to show up as either supporters or uh, special guests, but more as a, a as experiencing the experience as an attendee, like maybe you who's listening will be. So if you're ready to celebrate life in a tribe design in one of the greatest places on earth, the greatest time to be there, I'm trusting I'll see you in my inbox or I'll see an application from you and we'll get ready to party in all the cool ways, all the ways that make everything better. This is not like an experience of what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. It's like what happens at a tribe design upgrades everything forever. Hmm. Aloha, y'all. Keep breaking normal.